Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, and others to the Woody Allen Retrospective podcast for another episode of Woody Allen Adjacent. I am your host with the most old wonder, and I am back with my co-host who has escaped from hell this month just by the skin of his teeth, Mr. James Daniel Walsh. Welcome back. It is nice to be back among the living. And you sound good because <laughs> you're using your microphone, your poor microphone. So well mm-hmm. done. Congratulations. I'm going to give you a round of applause in post. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even want to get into it. Guys, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And uh, thank our current patrons for supporting the show. Consider supporting the show by joining us on the patreon.com forward slash Woody Retro. We've got an active comment section that we've kind of integrated check us out there but let's move on i don't want to do any more preamble we're running a bit late today so last time we spoke about the movie you hurt my feelings with julie with louise dreyfus and others it was pretty pretty good movie um but this time this is james's pick and once again we're doing a movie that was released earlier this year james why don't you tell us what we're talking about and if you don't mind right after that Give us a quick synopsis of the movie. We are talking about the 2023 movie Fool's Paradise with an all-star cast led up by director Charlie Day. The movie stars Charlie Day as a mental patient who cannot speak, who basically uh, stumbles around, uh, gets into one misadventure after the other, becomes a movie star and gets involved in all sorts of shenanigans. I looked it up uh, when I was looking up movies that uh, were reminiscent of Woody Allen, and this one came up, and I thought, oh, okay, a 2023 movie that we can talk about. So that's that's where I, I had not seen it before, uh, but that was what led me to, to have it as my pick. Yeah. I'm going to go first, James, if you don't mind, good sir. Go ahead. I never knew anything about this movie. I did not hear about this movie. The last time we spoke about Charlie Day was when we spoke about that I wouldn't say abysmal, but really, 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 really bad movie by Louis C.K. I love you, daddy. <laughs> I would say abysmal. Okay, let's go with abysmal. <laughs> now, when I watched the trailer for this movie, I was so excited. I was like, James hit it right on the head. Written and directed by Charlie Day. I've never loved Charlie Day. And that performance he gave in... Again, it was a script more than anything else. But he's always played obnoxious, irritating characters I've never really liked. Even that movie he did with Ice Cube, was it Fist Fight or whatever it was called? I mean, he does a certain kind of movie. I was excited to see this movie. Everything you that put forward to me about this movie looked like a Woody Allen movie to the T. The first thing I want to say is I was immensely disappointed by this movie, but when I started looking behind the scenes this movie, I had no idea that this movie was panned so harshly down. And like I I was kind of like, oh, I, I was so disappointed that I don't feel, think this movie fulfilled what it tried to do. I'll get into that. But then I did some research and uh, uh, this turned into a bit of a sad disaster, which I will, I got clips. I'll bring it all out and show you everything but yeah, this I was disappointed with this movie. Mm-hmm. I was too. I thought this movie was fine until it wasn't. Um, it started off promising enough, 
and it was too long. It ended up taking one too many, had one too many twists and turns in it for me. Could have easily been 15 to 20 minutes shorter. And it would have then been at least an okay movie. As it stands, by the end of it, I just wanted it to be done. And it felt like a slog. It's really unfortunate. Um, but I do want to, before I start getting into why I didn't enjoy the movie like yourself, I do want to say there's a couple of things I did enjoy. I think the movie was shot well enough. I think it looked nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the performances are good, but the script is not. Yeah. And so it's hard for me to, It's uh, this movie, uh, so much about it had the ingredients for something really great, you know? And mm-hmm. I didn't, like, I was, as I always do, when I finish watching these movies, I try to see what everyone else is saying. I was actually, I didn't think the movie would be so far panned as it is. And then when I started watching interviews and reviews, I'm like, okay, this is an actual big disaster <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that we will get into happily. But I just want to say that um, this is one of those situations where if you look what happened during the making of the movie it might influence the movie itself and so I kind of want to just focus on the movie that it is and not the movie it was meant to be everything about the script is just not good it rushes through everything so fast and I know what it's trying to do I know it's trying to be like a satirical take on Hollywood that ultimately you know know, actually I, I don't think it was a good satire even at that if anyone is thinking about seeing this movie I would actually recommend listening to Charlie Day talk about the making of this movie and what he wanted to do first. Because I, I think when I finished the movie, I came down on him pretty hard. I felt like he was a bit of a quack and I just thought this movie was toothless. I'm like, what was the point? But it honestly, everything that surrounds the movie and how it turned out this way, it's it's just sad. Well, the script is not great. It's It's a pretty standard takedown of Hollywood. You know, it's all the same tropes that you've seen a hundred times in other things. I would disagree about the performances. I thought they were like 50-50. I thought that there were, I thought Adrian Brody was really funny. Yeah. Uh, he, in fact, got the one actual big laugh out of me when he was talking about how he likes to watch movies with his fingers in his ears and his eyes closed. <laughs> um, John Malkovich got a laugh out of me. Uh, Ray Liotta common but charlie day himself you know he kind of plays two roles because in the move in the movie like i said he's a mental patient he doesn't talk he he gets kicked out of the mental hospital because he doesn't have any insurance and he's a dead ringer for a hollywood star and they end up using him to finish a movie because the star of the movie uh dies in his performance as the star, he is obnoxious. He's not funny. He just yells. In his performance as the main character, who ends up being called Latte Pronto by mistake, he's going for a silent movie thing. He's going for like a Chaplin thing. And he is not Chaplin. His main the main look on his face that that to convey his emotions is confusion. Yeah. Bewilderment. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I, 
I I saw I instantly saw the the Woody Allen connection because this is basically Zelig meets Hollywood ending. Yeah. And both of those movies are better and I don't even really like Hollywood ending all yeah. that much. One of his weakest, but I can definitely see the parallel you're bringing there. But I, I thought Ken Jeong was irritating. Unbearable! Unbearable! Just, I thought Jason Sudeikis, who I normally like, wasn't funny. Mm-hmm. Um, they wasted Jason Bateman. They must have pulled, Charlie Day must have pulled in a favor to get Jason Bateman in such a thankless little role. I, thought, I forgot he was in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kate Beckinsale is fine mm-hmm. in it. Edie Falco is fine. Um, their characters are really, it's funny because like, their characters are, are supposed to be stereotypes. So is Adrian Brody's character, but Adrian Brody was at least able to make me laugh at how ridiculous everything was. Kate Beckinsale was just playing, you know, the Hollywood starlet, the way that that part has been played for the last 70 years in movies. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like I said, it just all goes on too long. And it's also the movie is obnoxiously loud and it never gives you a chance to breathe but in a bad way uh i just felt and at first it was fine i figured at some point the movie would slow down and it never does it just sort of bounces uh latte pronto around from one scenario to the other and much like like in zelig everything he does is mistaken for being brilliant you know or or profound or you know by not speaking he's saying so much or whatever and i've seen this before and i've seen it done so much better in movies like being there um you know the or even forrest gump mm-hmm. you know the, the the character who you know really isn't profound or or uh, uh, deep in any kind of way, and everybody just reads into him. I don't know what Charlie Day is trying to say with this movie, because it's all been done before. It's all been done better before. All this movie does is take those concepts and just throw them at you in the most loud, obnoxious way possible. Yeah. I came away from this movie feeling that it just didn't have the subtlety it really needed. And mm-hmm. I know I haven't really gone into detail about what I don't like about the movie, but I found myself just waiting for a little bit more depth. Satire is cool, but sometimes it, to be intelligent with satire, you just have a little bit more depth. You know when to slow things down, chugging and chugging and chugging and chugging along as a movie. Mm-hmm. You know who does that really well? Someone we've spoken about twice. Steve Martin. Oh yeah, we've talked about Steve Martin, LA Story, even The Jerk. Those movies chug and chug and chug along. But number one, they're funny. Number mm-hmm. two, you actually feel for the characters. They might not hit the home run all the time, but you feel for them. And I didn't care for anyone. And I know that's kind of the point, but not even the way that made me think. Mm-hmm. Ken Jeong is so unbearable in this movie. Now, this is his kind of thing. Every movie he's mm-hmm. in. 
he is this character, right? Yeah. Hangover, he has those moments and it's like an electric shock. Even in that series of movies, he might be in it a little bit too much. This movie, he's in it 10 times as much. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very disheartened to hear that was an intentional choice from the first clip I'm about to play. But I I saw past even all the obnoxiousness. I still saw that they were trying to give the performances that they were given through the script. Even Ken Jong, I still think he has talent. But I just think that for some reason he leans into the obnoxious, loud mouth, not even wisecracking, just just so unlikable. And, you know, I was trying to find something to latch onto in this movie. There's actually one one part of the movie I like, which, to be honest, he doesn't mean anything, is when Charlie Day goes to a party, Charlie Day's character, Latte Ponto, and just dances, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just seeing it is, is a cool break, but it doesn't lend to anything. And, again, as you said, he plays a silent character. At the end, he says something. Mm-hmm. Now, even what he says, and I'm not going to say what he says, the payoff to it means nothing. It isn't earned. I don't give a shit. And I don't believe it. Like you said, no. a silent performance is a subtle one and one that I think takes some face acting and some, I don't know, and something that it just did not come across, you know? And I don't want to ruin what I'm about to ruin later, but he even said being silent was probably a mistake for him as the comedic actor usually is what you know him as. It didn't really work. Um, so yeah, I honestly, I, I was just so, so, so disappointed with this movie for the potential I thought it had. And I would honestly, I don't want to harp on the movie anymore. Cause we've got a lot to discuss about mm-hmm. the making of this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you know anything about the making of this movie, James? Nope. Okay. That's good. I'm about to give everyone the education. And I think anyone who's going to watch this movie might appreciate the movie more for this movie being another one of them cases where Hollywood, I mean, that's, that's the most um, interesting thing about the, this whole movie and the making of the movie. What the movie is trying to say in the film says more about it when you hear about the actual making of the film. So I'm not going to leave you guys any more suspense. This is the first clip I'm going to play. Now, this hasn't got anything to do with what I just said about behind the scenes. This is the first major interview I think Charlie Day did on uh, the Kenny Clarkson show. And he said something where I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> this can't be real. So let me play this clip, James. You'll know it, you'll know it when you hear it. But this mm-hmm. is an interview that he did with, on the Kenny Clarkson show, him and King John as well. And I just was like, I was like, whoa, this is the first red flag. Paradise, and you wrote it and directed it too. You did all of the above. So, where did the idea come from? I started writing it almost ten years ago, between seasons of Sunny, and I kept tinkering with it. And I, I shot it uh, a couple years ago with Ken here, and then I sat in the editing room and I watched Ken's performance, and I said, Ken, you are the greatest thing that I've ever (laughs) pointed a camera towards. Can I get you back? (laughs) And can I make this entire movie about you? Uh, and uh, you said yes, and uh, and I went back in and I retooled it to be this sort of funny, sort of almost bromance between these two guys. But 
It's loosely based on uh, Peter, Sellers be Peter Sellers being there, which is like my favorite film. Yeah. And I play, uh, Ken plays a down on his luck publicist who just wants to be a part of Hollywood. And I play a man in a mental institution who looks just like a method actor who won't come out of his trailer. <laughs> and uh, one thing leads to another and he sort of puts me in front of the camera and we go through a funny rise and fall in show business. But um, the movie is ultimately about how these two guys connect to one another and I could not have done it without this man. I love that. I love that you were inspired while doing it and it almost changed it and made it something else because you're inspired by the people you're working with. That's that's bold to like yeah. change something like that. That's really cool. Yeah, the movie was speaking to me and telling me it wanted to be as much Ken's movie as it was my story. And I said, so okay, cool. we have to change this. And, yeah. and this man delivers a performance in this film, it, like I, with his clothes on. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but second to his nudity, um, uh, he delivers a, a, emotional nudity yes. and, and hilarity. Emotional and nudity. Emotional. Nice. I, I think Ken gives a performance unlike we've seen him give before in this film. And I really hope that, that uh, you know, people see it and that he gets the recognition he deserves for his hard work. That's so great. Yeah. I love that. I heard that and I thought, what the hell are you talking about? That, if that's, if that's what you really thought, then you're a much worse movie maker, director, writer than I thought. Because mm -hmm. you can't even have him in the movie for 25%, look at him and feel like he's great. And I could not disagree more that his performance is anything but what we've already seen a hundred times from him. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't disagree more. And honestly, I didn't even want to look more into the making of this movie because what he... I'll let you respond in a moment, James. And what he says afterwards contradicts this completely, in my opinion. But I, I couldn't disagree with him more on this point. <laughs> what did you think of what he just said there, James? Oh, this is the exact same performance that Ken Young gives in every movie, with one exception. All the other movies recognize that he's obnoxious. The Hangover movies and anything else he's ever been in. He always plays the same character, but he's always kind of, he's supposed to be annoying. People around him are annoyed by him. He's not sympathetic in the other movies. He's always playing an asshole. He's always out for himself. This time you're supposed to sympathize for him, but he's giving the same performance he gives in those movies. And I, you know, again, I think that there is another kind of Woody Allen connection there in that you could compare him to Broadway Danny Rose. Yeah. Broadway, you know, Danny Rose in in that movie, he's a loser. You know, he represents these horrible acts and, you know, he can't catch a break. And we like him. We like him. Everybody else likes him. Everybody around him, like the whole movie is framed by people telling stories about him. This guy's just an asshole. And there's no reason for, you know, at the end of the movie, the big payoff when Charlie Day finally speaks, I'm with you. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the whole bromance thing. Nope. That all fell flat to me. And I, you know, the fact that he retooled the movie, I don't know what it was before, mm -hmm. but whatever it was before was probably better. Oh, oh. remember you said that, Jings. <laughs> remember you said that. Hold, keep going. You keep going. Because the character, and I don't even buy like what they try to do where Ken Young's character 
feels bad. Oh, I used him and everything. He did, really didn't. Mm. He just, if anything, he he tried to give the guy a career. He was doing his job. Mm. And shot, you know, he really, did, like, all he did, he actually didn't do anything. Like, Ray Liotta found him, uh, put him in front of the camera. The agents and all the, the managers and uh, all those people were provided by the studio. Ken Young's just happens to be there. He doesn't do anything. Mm. Uh, in fact, there's a part in the movie where he has a meltdown and is thrown out of a party for screaming that he is indispensable when really the reason he's reacting that way is because he knows he's just a leech yeah so none of that works none of it works at all the movie opens with him which i thought was interesting opening not knowing what the movie was about it opens with him Mm. talking his way trying to keep one of his clients and there's no charisma. There's not even that that iota of charisma, integrity, street smarts to keep this guy at all. And I just was like, okay, he's just a side character. But he keeps coming back. And I don't find him endearing in this movie at all. And I hate to come down on King John so harshly because I think the first time I saw him was in the TV series community. And again, he was playing... A, a little bit toned down version of this but he was likable and it was mild and I think if he just played it down it would have been better, wouldn't have saved the movie he's not the problem with the whole movie by the way he's just a really really bad part wouldn't have saved the movie but it didn't help at all now I want to talk about if Woody Allen had this movie as it is the movie we were talking about we just saw yeah mm. If what he did from scratch, I'm not sure what he would do. But if this was even like a sequel to Broadway Danny Rolls, and he was that same character, he was a Kendrick character, he found an actor like um, the main character, he was a mute, and they worked together. It would, I think he would have done it in a much more interesting way. You know, uh, not, on, not only is the Danny Rolls character more interesting as the Woody Allen character, but I think if he directed charlie day the script would have been a lot better it would have been a lot more thoughtful to the point where when the movie starts and they talk about the character they talk about this character with no name the charlie day character i was like why are they releasing sky from hospital i know this movie is not really meant to be in the realm of reality but they tell you that this guy something might have happened in his past to make him this way we're not quite sure then the next scene he's being dumped on the street made no sense but I thought maybe that's foreshadowing. Maybe they're watching him. Maybe they'll come back to him at the end. Nope. I have no idea why that was even there. That was just an intro. They didn't need it, to be perfectly honest with you. Would have been a better mystery if he just came off the bus as he is. But to kind of front load it as this hospital for some reason just dumped him. Why? That made no sense. I thought well, that would be after that. Actually, that makes some sense if you're an American. <laughs> No, and I know about the medical system. I completely, but again, they could have used that angle. They could have, they didn't even mention that. If they mentioned the, the ward was too full or they, they were overvalued with patients, they didn't say anything about that. No, I think it's just he didn't have insurance. Isn't that all there was to it? Either way, I felt like it was a setup that I never paid off at all. And mm. I didn't, I, and because they, 
explicitly say he has a mind of a five-year-old child, I mm-hmm. thought it was very irresponsible for them to let him go with no oversight. And yeah, you're, you're right, James. In reality, maybe that is, you know, that is the reality of an American healthcare system. Fine. Would have been interesting to mention that or follow up with it or maybe have someone else in the cast who isn't a complete fucking asshole to maybe mm-hmm. see this guy for the mentally unstable person he is. There was no sympathy from anyone. And that's why even in the movie full of all these ultra exaggerated characters, yeah, I needed just a little bit of reality, a little bit, and there was nothing. Well, he references, um, and you know, I'm not surprised he references because I referenced it before I heard him do it. Yeah. That this is based on the movie being there. Um, Which I, haven't, being I there, haven't seen, I haven't seen that myself, but you can tell, tell us, tell us what that's about actually. What is that it, about? It's a great movie. It's got Peter Sellers in it. Mm-hmm. Um, as um, basically somebody who probably has autism. That's probably what it is. They just didn't know what to call it that back then. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot like Forrest Gump, where it's this character who he's got the mind of a child and he's been raised his entire life as a servant in this rich man's house. He's never left the house. And the the old man dies and he's set out into the world and everybody mistakes him for being brilliant or profound. He ends up like advising politicians and, you know, wooing Shirley MacLaine who thinks that, you know, he's the most romantic guy ever when really he's just repeating things that he's seeing on the TV as the TV is on. And the problem with Charlie Day saying that this is like being there is we know why Peter Sellers is like that. It's not a mystery. If at some point in the movie, which is what I expected to happen, somebody knows who he actually is. Mm-hmm. Somebody from his past, and we get the answer to what happened to put him in this state. Then him having a little bit of dialogue at the end would have made some sense. Instead, we never find out anything about him. He's a completely blank slate, and I'm sure that's what Charlie Day was going for. But from a storytelling perspective, it doesn't work. There's no reason to sympathize with him. There's no reason to care about him. All we know about him is that he has some, some probably has some form of trauma that has caused him to revert back to having the mind of a five-year-old child, which by the way, that doesn't work either because he doesn't act like a kid. He acts like a grown man. He never acts like a child. He never acts like he's even slow in any way. No. He's just basically Charlie Day, just not talking. And to compare it to being there, where Peter Sellers gives an absolutely brilliant performance, or even to compare it to Forrest Gump, which is a much more simplified version of that concept. But Tom Hanks gives a good performance. And we know why Tom Hanks is that way in that movie. This just doesn't make sense. They have some sort of half-baked mystery that never gets any payoff to it. No. No. And I think it would be, you know, not including that was some kind of choice, which is very risky. It it takes out an emotional core for me, which I wanted. That wasn't there. Fine. 
some of the directors like Woody Allen probably could have done that without, you know, made this succeed without the backstory. But it was a tall ask. And at some point, and I'll actually, let me start now. And actually, let me say this. So there's a podcast that Charlie Day did. It's called Let's Shoot with Pete Chaton. He goes into, it's like an hour and a half podcast, and they really talk about what this film was meant to be. And Charlie Day just admits a lot, a lot about how this movie was actually meant to be. But before we get into that, I want you to take this movie into Woody Allen's hands. This movie that was released, Fool's Paradise. (laughs) And I'm going to ask you this question again later. But for now, with this movie here, and you made a lot of those comparisons to the other Woody Anderson, Woody and Danny Wells and such. But what do you think Woody would have done? Woody definitely would have chosen somebody other than Ken Jeong to play the the publicist. It depends on what era we're talking about. I think younger Woody would have played the Charlie Day character and he would have um, actually was kind of always surprised Woody never did do a silent movie. But, um, you know, I'm sure he would have played the Charlie Day character. I think a similar takedown of Hollywood, because like I said, none of the ideas in Fool's Paradise are particularly new. Mm. I mean, if you look at um, Hollywood satires from like the 1940s, you'd have the same characters. You know, you'd have the the Kate Beckinsale character, you know, the the shallow movie star. You'd have the Adrian Brody character as the... Uh, sort of full of himself, uh, self-important actor. Jason Sudeikis would be the same kind of asshole director. All of this is, none of this stuff in the movie is new. What Woody would have done with it, though, is he would have, I think, found something deeper. Yeah. The Hollywood stuff would have been the gloss on top, but there would have been something underneath. There would have been a love story for sure the latte pronto character would have absolutely had a genuine love interest who would have been probably like a PA on the movie or yeah, or an extra or an extra or something like that. It would have been probably much more the the actual satire would have been much more focused and sharp. Hmm. This is all very generic, you know, and the, the movie does get a little flashy at points. Like I think about like the Edie Falco scenes where she's the, what is she, the agent or the, yeah, she's one of the agents. Yeah. yeah. And you know, she, she, there's a scene where it's like, I've seen it in a hundred different movies where it's like, I'm your agent. I take 10%. This is your manager. He takes 10%. This is your so on and so on and so on. That's almost filmed. Like I felt I was watching like a Tim Burton movie for a second. Hmm. he's wearing like the garish makeup and uh the camera's popping around all of a sudden in a way it doesn't in the the rest of the movie yeah um woody would have done it a lot more dry it would have been somebody who's sucking up and you know a lot of double talk um there there's like a clever bit towards the end where latte pronto's whole life falls apart and is uh he's being thrown out of his house and his business manager is there and uh there's some i I thought it was a clever bit about no no i'm not i'm not here to make him money i'm here to make me money that's what a job is 
Yeah. That felt kind of woody. That's that's the kind of thing you would have seen more of. You know, whenever we do this podcast, I always bring up the Wikipedia page and I have it in front of me so I can just, you know, look at things and reference. Good. Yep. And I'm looking at the plot synopsis right now. The last two paragraphs of the plot synopsis should have been cut out completely. Like everything after um, his career fails. And hold on, hold on, hold on to that for. I don't want you to talk about the plot because we're we're gonna get into a very heavy conversation about that. Okay. That's why I want you to please hold that for. We'll come back to that. Um, but can I can I play you this clip now? I've been holding it for a while, and I'm sure it's gonna make this conversation that more saturated and sweet. <laughs> okay. So as I alluded to, Charlie Day did a a very long in depth podcast about movie making but more about the making of this movie in general and or listen i heavily edited this one down to get the point but i'm going to link the podcast i really ha- i really recommend you check it out down in the description it's a really great conversation a lot to take from it but i want you guys to listen and then uh james i really really want your thoughts on this after you hear this just a warning this clip is almost six minutes and i did edit it but yeah, let's let's go. When did you start working on the script for Fool's Paradise? 2014. In 2014, I was just riffing on an idea, very obviously being like, oh, could I just do a fun little fun, funny movie? Like how Ashby's being there. Just feeling like, okay, no one's making those movies. No one's going to give me a chance to be in one of those. Could I just make my own? And instead of setting it in, in Washington and in politics... Can I do the Mr. Magoo storyline in Hollywood? It seemed to apply. It seemed to be like, right. well, this is talk about a place where you just build people up. And I'd I'd written a version of it originally called El Tanto, a very different movie than the one that I released. And then just sort of sat on it, you know, showed it to a few friends here and there, but sort of like, I don't know. This is such a wild, a big swing and so different from what I do. You know, do we think it could work? And it wasn't until 2017 that I was thinking just shoot something like forget it like let me just let me just try and make it like who cares yeah and we took a shot at we filmed it the first version in 2018 and the movie the movie that I was going for initially was called El Tonto and it was called El Tonto because the movie was told by a man whose Spanish was his First language. He was an, like an unreliable narrator. He was from a family in East LA, Mexican American family. He made his living as a day laborer. He sold oranges on the side of the road. And one of the whole reasons I even thought of the idea was I was stuck behind a car, a very fancy car, with a man trying to sell oranges on the side of the road. And and the guy was on his phone. And I was like, he seemed just like a producer or something. And I thought, oh, that's that is such an interesting dynamic. Like Hollywood is so non-inclusive to the Latinx communities. I think primarily, especially for a community that has been here the longest. That seemed really interesting to me as a way in. So in my initial version of this movie, this character, this narrator is telling this story and everything that you see my character go through in the movie is sort of his unreliable fantasy of what's happening to me, which is why I sort of went heightened with the costumes and the things. 
basically what happens is he says, look, some guy stepped off a bus one day, I think, I don't know. There's no hospital scene. There's no explaining who I am. He says, all I know, he seemed like an idiot. You know, he's, he seemed, I, I couldn't figure this dude out. And he, and he says, but the worst thing that happened to me was my daughter brought him home. And then I have a scene where <laughs> his daughter meets me in a park and she asks if I'm homeless. And then I make her laugh and she's like, she brings me home for dinner. And they say, they're going to just put me up for the night. And they let me sleep out back. And they take me in and he takes me to get work. And I become like a part of the family. And the daughter starts to fall for me. And then we're selling oranges on the side of the road one day and Ray Liotta comes up mm. and he realizes I look just like this method actor who won't come out of his trailer. So then to make matters worse, they go into Hollywood. They take me into Hollywood and they're making a movie called Squanto. And it's all the main guy is like a Johnny Depp type guy and he won't come out of his trailer and he's playing a Native American. So they're making an incredibly like racist movie. So, and then what happens is he starts to see from the outside. He's like, I don't know how this white guy just keeps failing up. And everyone who is around me, who's like diverse, like Ken Jong, he dies actually in my original version you know, common, like everyone, it like gets chewed up and spit out and the, the white people keep feeling upwards. Eventually I find my way back to the family and the daughter has married and moved on and I get back on the bus and he's like, you know, I don't know anything about this guy, but he's just like another fool in a city full of them. Mm. It's a very different movie than the one that I released. And that was when I had reached out to Guillermo and he didn't like the storyline with the family. And I had the other problem of rightly or wrongly, when George Floyd died and the industry sort of woke up to how racist they've been, I think there was a consensus from an executive that we shouldn't buy a movie from a white man talking about how racist Hollywood is. Now, whether that was fair or unfair, I felt it too on my own where I sort of felt like, well, man... I wish I had co-written this with a Mexican-American writer to get more in-depth to that character's storyline and have a more honest sort of portrayal of his family to have the satire hit harder. So I was faced with a, like a really tough decision. You know, I tried to sell the movie and I, I had a lot of like groups of all white executives telling me things like, well, all your executives in your movie are white. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They wanted to have a little bit of a, they wanted to have a different presentation so the conversation or the or the point would be different, right? I think there, there was just a, a lot of collective business fear that no one wanted to be on the wrong side of history, right? But that's an excuse. I don't think that I had a version of the script that was perfect anyway. That took me a long time to edit because he said a lot of stuff. Um, I'm going to give you some highlights, but again, I highly, highly recommend anyone part, you know, any interest in this movie, check out the making of, because it's, it's almost a, a, a cautionary tale of kind of what he was trying to say in the movie itself, because he said he couldn't sell the movie, the original concept, he couldn't get anyone to buy it. And the actors that turn up in the movie all liked him and liked the base concept, right? That's why they joined the movie. And after he got those actors on, then the movie got bought. But he retooled the movie. Like in the first interview I played, 
where he mentioned that oh King uh, King John was so good. Th- that sounds a bit like bullshit to me. It sounds like he retooled this movie because he had no choice. Now in that interview, I'm sure he doesn't go into everything, but and I've got one more clip. This movie, Fool's Paradise, as it was released, isn't the movie he wanted to release. And I have to say, for Charlie Day, the writer, director, I actually felt for him. And it made me look at him in a better light, you know. Because again, I wanted to separate the movie from the man, because sometimes if you don't know this stuff, you watch the movie, you come out, oh, this guy's shit, this guy can't write, da, 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 da. But his original script had some more bite to it. Do I think Woody Allen would do that movie? No, probably not. No. But <laughs> James, hearing all that, I would like to hear your thoughts now. Well, the movie he wanted to make sounds more interesting. As to whether or not it was his story to tell, I always have mixed feelings about that. There are some great movies about race and uh, racism in America that were made by white people. And granted, they were made by white people because only white people could make them at the time. Steven Spielberg's on the few. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's done more than one, yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the executives being nervous about it. I could see that it would, I mean, at the time probably would have been a topic that, not that it would have been ignored because we've got plenty of movies about um, racism since George Floyd. But no comedies about it. And maybe they thought it just wasn't a time for people to laugh Mm. about it, which, you know, I think Mel Brooks would disagree with, Mm. you know, Mel Brooks made one of the best movies about racism of all time. And it's one of the funniest movies of all time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it does sound closer to being there than what he ultimately got. I still think the idea of the character being mute doesn't, matter it doesn't make any sense it, it mm-hmm. actually makes less sense in the original version it sounds yeah. like i'm not sure he was mute in the original version as well actually i don't think he was mute i mean if he was just playing it again more like peter sellers and being there where he was just sort of a simple guy that's one thing if the character was mute in the original version i don't think that makes any sense at all but who mm-hmm. knows if that was what he intended or not but um yeah, I. it sounds like a more interesting movie that I would have liked more, but not loved. Sure, we never know. And before I say any more, um, I just took one more, this is a much shorter clip, it's like only two minutes, where he asked him a, a poignant question, if he could make this movie again, what would he do differently? And it kind of encapsulated a couple of other things I said, but I'll play this last clip and then I'll kind of wrap my thoughts up on this if you could do it again like you probably well let me ask you if you if you could do it again what would you do that's a great question um two huge things because i think no matter what you do with the camera the script has to be so airtight and you know the script is everything so what i what i would do to do it over again is i would take that a very original 2014 draft And I would bounce it off so many of my writer friends. I would annoy everybody. You know, Mm -hmm. that was one thing. I didn't want to annoy everyone. 
like by the time I went to Guillermo, it was like hat in hand, like man on his knees. <laughs> be like, I'm fucked here, man. You know, like how do I get out of this? You know, I think I would early on just be like, okay, everybody tell me your thoughts on this. And then if I was getting a lot of dead ends and a lot of like people being like, yeah, you know, you're going to have an issue that XYZ is really not going to work. And if I didn't see a way through it on my own, I would have just brought on another writer and be like, get your goddamn ego out of it and just co-write this, you know? So I would do that. That's from a writing standpoint. From a directing standpoint, I would not make the movie just because I could. I would make the movie with the right team that made the movie or not make it at all, which is to say I would have like the right sort of producing, distributing team involved. I this this is not a slight on anyone who I made the movie with because they're all great producers and it's just were they the right producers for this particular film? Hard hard to say. Probably probably not. You know, anything that may work or not work with the movie, of course it all falls on my shoulders, but it would have been nice to have been able to turn and talk to someone who had you know, 10 of these size and style films to be like, what's the move here? You know, okay, something's off. What's the fix? You know, to to go it alone is, is really challenging. I think it really helped me when I brought on Leslie Jones and even John Bryan to be like, okay, you guys have made mm -hmm. these style movies before. You can help kind of guide me into bringing this thing home. But a lot of the DNA was already there. So I would just do that from the very beginning. From the very beginning. So it's pretty much just saying I'd make them write the movie the right way with the right people or just go make a different movie. So that's the end of the last tip. And what I want to say is from that segment, kind of what I inferred or extrapolated from it was that, you know, saying you've written and directed the movie that you get to market is a big deal. When you mm -hmm. proposed this movie to me and I saw he written and directed it, I already thought of him you know, 10 classes high that, wow, he's a writer, a director, and he got it funded, and he's got all these stars. And as he said there himself, he, he should have stepped out of the way, got his ego out, got a screenwriter. And I think when he was saying, was it Girl Del, Del Toro? I think that's the director. Maybe he's, he, maybe I'm wrong, because I, I couldn't listen to the whole podcast in time to do this recording, but I feel like he was trying to say, he was trying to get in touch with someone from the community to write a script. And then if he couldn't, sell the movie with the producers, directors, or the studio he did, maybe he would have just done it, taken his time, done it more. He has a lot of regrets. It's very clear, off you hear that, the movie, and he happily admits the criticism that he got hurt him a lot, but he understands it. And, you know, so, hearing all that, and after watching the movie, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, so this is another story of a hundred stories of someone that wrote a film went to Hollywood, and they completely turned into something else due to whatever circumstance. And I don't even know if this final product is what he wanted. Kim Jong is so goddamn irritating in this movie. I just can't even fathom he had any... Well, he said he killed him off, actually. Sorry. Mm -hmm. He killed him off. <laughs> so how can I believe that thing you said in the Kenny Class interview about you saying, oh, he's, you know, he's so great at... at that's nonsense. It doesn't, it doesn't ring true in terms of the script. It doesn't work. So I feel, you know, 
listen, listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this joke now. Charlie Day, aka Luigi, is gonna be fine. All right. Oof. That's Super Mario Bros. movie he just did made him a shit ton of money, all right. Yeah. And I don't mean to overly criticize him. I feel for him as a creative, you know what I mean? Especially you know as a writer, this shit can happen. Even with publishers, you told me this shit can happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know, going into the movie, people aren't going to even know this. I only found out about this because I did the research. So it's a shame. This movie doesn't work. Now I kind of know why. And, you know, whether he said it's his own ego that got in the way and he just wanted to get, which he can say, I've written it to the movie, you know, blah, 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 blah. Was it worth it? I don't know. But, you know, it was it was interesting the closure on this movie that I honestly didn't even think had this drama behind it, but Hey, well, and you know, I did have at least one good feeling watching the movie, which is the worst podcasts are the ones where you and I are like, it it was fine. It was okay. Or yeah, it was good. The ones where we either have a lot of praise for the movie or where we just rip it apart. (laughs) Yeah. are the more interesting conversations. And in this case, unlike, and I will all, I think I will forever compare every movie that we don't like to I Love You, Daddy. <laughs> um, in this case, I wasn't mad at the movie. It did have some funny bits. Charlie Day's not a bad director at all. He's right. He should have had a writing partner. But as far as the direction goes, it was fine he seems like a nice enough guy. And I'm sure that's what got all the people who were in the movie to be a part of it because they could not have been paid much. So, yeah. If, 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 if it had just been trimmed down a little bit, if it had been tightened up, by the end of the movie, like I said, there's just one too many twists for it, which the, the, the final twist doesn't even really pay off. Nope. John Malkovich is funny in his scene, None of that had to be in there. Mm-hmm. The movie just suffers from being too much. It's not not enough. There are plenty of movies that are not enough. This one was too much. It was too many ideas. It was too many kind of disparate pieces that didn't fit. And too many recycled ideas. I mean, really, at this point, we don't need Hollywood satires anymore. It's all been said. Hmm. The only kind of like a Holly, you could make like a Hollywood satire where and I think that I was, I was just in my head formulating an idea of like where you're actually like a young ingenue actually gets like sacrificed because it turns out that like all of the executives and movie stars are like a, a, a cult or something. But I think even that movie has been done. There is nothing you can do anymore as far as Hollywood satire that hasn't been done and hasn't been said and isn't cliche at this point. It was a movie that didn't need to be made. You could have said it in something else, not politics, because that's also been done, but maybe religion or something, some, some kind of a thing that you could satirize. And Charlie Day did what he knew, which was Hollywood. The problem is that that just, it's been done. It's been done better. And his, his inspirations are good, but, you know, like I said, I'm not shocked at all to know that this was 
heavily influenced by being there because I'm watching it the whole time going, this is just being there, but bad. Mm. And yeah, I, I, I hope he continues to direct. Uh, I hope he gets to make another movie. I think he's got talent, but this one was a swing and a miss. <laughs> he's going to be fine. He's doing it now. Yeah, Luigi yeah exactly. They're going to make 500 <laughs> of those Mario movies. He's going to be fine. Uh, I will say, um, I only disagree with um, one point of what you just said, which again, don't class me as an optimist when I say this. I've just been pleasantly surprised. When people make bad movies or bad books in an overdone genre or an overdone topic, you know, most knee-jerk reactions, or I'm not saying you have a knee-jerk reaction, by the way. I'm saying most mm. reactions are, this is overdone, we've seen it all before, but there's always someone who's talented enough to, even if it's not new, because nothing's new under the sun, as the saying goes, but mm -hmm. someone can always make something interesting. Always. You always be surprised whether it's going to be in 10 years, five years, or just someone with some new angle that just, someone always does it. That's the wonderful thing about life. You know, Charlie Day, um, I think he has talent. I really do. And I like the original idea he had, you know, I wish I could have seen that so we could have watched it, critiqued it and judged it. But now that's gone. He took so long to make this one movie. Unfortunately, a tragedy made it go in a completely different direction. But at the end of the day, he can say, he wrote and directed this movie with all these stars and on face value for those who want to watch the movie they might always look at it and say that movie looks great i wonder how good it is without looking at the rotten tomatoes imdb just the poster you might think wow charlie day is going places mm -hmm. <laughs> well I mean, that, that is an all-star cast it is which so... by, by the way Two of them, Eddie Fal wasn't Eddie Falco and um, John Malkovich in "I Love You, Daddy." Anyway, they were in "I Love You, Daddy." Yeah, I think so. So uh, I just I walked... blocked so much of that movie out of my yeah. mind. <laughs> there was a there was another actor. There's, uh, there's about two other actors were in "I Love You, Daddy." So he, he actually worked. As, I was like, oh, okay, you guys. I don't know. Anyway, that that's just something I observed. Anyway, listen, I don't want to shit on the movie anymore. I didn't feel like I was shitting. I just it was interesting. Mm -hmm. It was very, very, very interesting. But on a, on a, just another note, I love um, Red Letter Media. Uh, the mm -hmm. reviewers love them a lot. They did a review for this, and it was one of the most amusing reviews I ever saw. Because one, they're very critical, but very, very um, uh, pensive. They're very, mm -hmm. I really like their takes on it. And when they were talking about the review, about uh, reviewing the movies for Paradise, they brought up Woody Allen as well. Mm -hmm. And they kind of gushed over, um, Sleeper, where Woody yeah. was the role, but he was like, that was an amazing silent performance. And I was like, you see, I like the recognition there. That, that yeah. actually put a smile on my face. I saw that review, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it, I think, is the only review I saw of this movie. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I think that's it. I've said all I want to say about this movie. Uh, don't really recommend it. <laughs> mm -hmm. James, uh, let's wrap this up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's talk about what we're going to be talking about next month. Thank you for all the birthday wishes. By the time you hear this recording, I would already be on my trip. Hopefully I'm back and this editing is up. But our next discussion is for a movie that was recommended to us by a fan on one of our old um, YouTube comments. 
for a movie called Maybe I Do with the highest acclaimed Woody Allen actress, Diane Keaton. <laughs> it also stars Richard Gere and a whole, a, whole, a, whole, a whole host of other cast members that is really good. So look forward to that discussion in November. James, where can the people get you if they want to get in contact with you? Uh, you can always find me on Manic Expression. My books are available on Amazon. And I would like to say happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you so much, James. I'm part of the 40s club now. <laughs> yeah, I've been there for a while. So I know, so. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for all the birthday wishes. I appreciate the patrons for supporting us. Again, go to Wood. Go to patreon.com forward slash Woody Retro. The Linktree link will be there for the Patreon for James's books to subscribe. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And we'll see you on the next recording.